So once again, welcome. It's uh, such a delight to be here with all of you. You know, there was a, a time in my life where I was practicing music. I was, I was playing both the clarinet and the piano. And it was a time in my life where I had access to some practice rooms for music. And maybe some of you have utilized practice rooms who are into music. Often they're kind of small. Sometimes they have a, a piano in them and are relatively soundproof. So it was in a building where there was a number of practice rooms and you go in and just use one of the empty ones. And actually the nice thing was, is I remember each time I'd be walking down this hallway with all the practice rooms and the they weren't completely soundproof. So you could always hear, you know, if you walk slowly, what other people were playing. And there was one person there that it felt like they were there all the time, whenever whenever I was there, they were uh, in one of the practice rooms. And this is someone who had an aspiration to be a concert pianist and had already, I think he, this, this person had uh, gone to a conservatory, a well-known well one. And I remember uh, when I heard them play, he was such an amazing pianist and even from the the muted sound, I, it felt like I could hear their passion and their devotion to music. And I think the the thing that was most moving, even more than that, I know it's going to sound strange, is was their their commitment to practice, like just the, the the being in there time and time again, practicing, refining their art. I found inspiring and moving. And for me, this image uh, comes to me sometimes when I get a feeling sense of what it is to be on the spiritual path, to have that dedication, that devotion, to have that commitment to practice those, those hours and hours, sometimes playing around, figuring out those small details to whatever the artistic endeavor is. bringing beauty into the world in this way. And it does fit so well because sometimes I imagine this is what the Buddha gave us, this artistic endeavor to bring a kind of beauty in the world, a beauty of a different way of being in the world. So for our time together, what I'd like to share with you are some reflections around um, first framing this as an artistic endeavor and then kind of with a with with the title getting practical about some tips that are really helpful for practice like an artistic practice that can be i i think very helpful and as i mentioned before you know i on dharma seed uh, dharma seed.org i have a talk where I, I talk about practice as artistic endeavor and i go a little bit more just into that framework. And, and these uh, two talks kind of uh, intertwine together quite well. And I want to be clear, I, I'm just sharing with you one image, one framework that you can utilize for getting a feeling sense of the spiritual path. 
And is with every image or framework, there are advantages and disadvantages to, the, to them. So I'm not saying this is the way. I'm just throwing this out there because it might be something that resonates for you that you can play around with, that you might find useful. And that's kind of your task I'm inviting you to, to take on is uh, getting a sense of the reflections that I'm sharing with you, if they feel useful, alive for you. And if they do, to play within them. If not, just setting them aside. And this, uh, this talk was inspired by a book that comes from a different realm, and it's called The Practice of Practice, and it's by uh, Jonathan Harnum. And it's a, it's a book for musicians about learning how to practice music. It's a great book. And I, I want to give a shout out to a practitioner who had recommended this book to me. Uh, just a big thank you to that person because uh, it, it's been so interesting to kind of go through that book and see the how it corresponds and correlates to our spiritual path. And there's places where it really correlates and some not at all. So I want to be clear about that. And I have to also give a uh, thanks to my partner, Robin, because when it was first recommended to, you, to me, I'll just be honest, I was just kind of glanced through it. You know, I was like, okay, you know, what's this? <laughs> you know, it was that was like, and then just this, uh, this last month, uh, Robin had taken up was really reading and I could see her interest in it. And so I had the, I could feel my, <laughs> my interest. And we had some really good conversations about meditation practice in light of, of the practice of music. And I did get excited about it because it fits so well with places in which the Buddha describes this path. Like there's a classic sutta that the, the correlation is so close, the, the Sona Sutta. And it's a, it's a discourse that the Buddha is giving. He's having this conversation with a musician. And this musician is having a hard time on the path. And then the Buddha offers Sona this analogy about playing the Vina. Vina was a, a kind of stringed instrument during the Buddha's time. And it was about finding getting the the string instrument in in tune so that the str the strings were not too tight and they weren't too loose and to get them in tune and interestingly the the pali word pali being the early scriptural language for buddhism the the word for getting it in tune is uh getting it established it's the it, it's the same word um, at least uh, it, it's it's a cognate of the same word in this uh, word satipatthana, which is the Pali word for the sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness, or the four establishments of mindfulness, which I love. So so when you're practicing mindfulness, what you're doing is you're getting your heart and mind in tune to certain aspects of your experience, and then when you're in tune with them, when you're established in these certain ways of perceiving your experience in tune with those it leads to freedom so I, I love that that correlation just in language and how the, the buddha's playing with language as he often does in this discourse and he's connecting it with this this artistic endeavor around music and then and then it's it's to get in in tune or get in the the in tune with the five spiritual faculties some of you might know the teaching around that different talk And then the Buddha also speaks, he uses this word 
around meditation, uh, bhavana, which is sometimes becoming, but it's also can be translated as cultivation, a kind of cultivation or kusala, which is this word that is sometimes translated as skill, like a skillfulness, like an artist has, like a, a woodworker, like if you've seen uh, a woodworker and the, the skill they have for, for working with wood or a, a potter. And I'd like to offer you some broad, there's going to be really broad practical tips for your meditation, kind of this getting practical about practice from this viewpoint. And there are a lot of, I think, more refined points, which I won't get to, but I, I think would be another interesting talk about some of the refinement of, refinements of this. So here, here are some reflections on that, about getting practical about practice. And the first one, again, some of this comes from this book, The, uh, 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 the Practice of Practice by Jonathan Herman. One is, is having a particular mindset. He goes into this quite a bit. And, and what I got from this, this is more of my spinoff on this, is I find that uh, this being an artistic endeavor and me bringing having that mindset and bringing that to my spiritual practice either went during my formal meditation or what i'd call off the cushion meditation brings it alive because sometimes the mindset i don't know if you like this i've sometimes find myself in this rut i have before in meditation where what's motivating the practice is i need to sit for this amount of time every day And, and, and I find that when I cultivate more of a vision of this artistic endeavor, there's more curiosity, there's more interest in the exploration of whatever I'm meditating on, whether it's the practice of loving kindness or collecting the mind, concentration, samadhi, or just mindfulness. It's like I get more excited about it. I want to sit down and meditate. And this can counteract what sometimes happens with formal meditation is sometimes we engage in it like brushing our teeth, right? You brush your teeth for dental hygiene and then you meditate for emotional and mental hygiene. It's kind of the thing you have to do. I just want to say, and it might be different for you, when I'm brushing my teeth, it does not feel like I have an artistic envision behind it. Like, I'm just doing it like, because I gotta. <laughs> it's the thing I do every day or a couple times a day to take care of my teeth. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I do brush my teeth, but, but really it does, I, I don't like, I, I don't wake up in the morning. It's like, yeah, like now's the time I'm gonna brush my teeth. I'm so curious about it. And I, I want to be careful. Maybe some of you are like that about brushing your th teeth, which I think is great. <laughs> so just coming back to this analogy, it, 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 for me, you know, brushing my teeth just isn't, <laughs> it's kind of dull and bland, bland compared to the artistry of like playing music, the artistry of playing the music of the Dharma. To hear the difference here, and how maybe you've kind of fallen into the brushing your teeth kind of meditation at times and how just having the mindset of like, I want to learn this art 
because I'm so moved by the beauty of it. And this fits with another thing that comes with artistry, which I've been inspired by, whether it be that person I was hearing in the other music room or some musical great, is their passion for their art. Artists have deep passion. And this is an essential component on the spiritual path is you got to have deep passion. This is what drives any artistic endeavor. Like the, the Pali phrase for this is Dhamma Chanda. Chanda is usually, it can be translated as zeal or desire. This zeal or desire for the Dhamma. And I want to point out how fundamental this is for the path. You probably know the, the story of the Buddha. Like this is kind of a fundamental sto story, you know, of how the Buddha, so the story goes, leaves the palace to start to live as a spiritual wanderer, wanderer, you know, as an ascetic practitioner. That move, can you imagine leaving the way you know how you're living your life, a comfortable life, and wanting to live that kind of life? What comes to my mind is like, man, you got to have a lot of passion to do something like that. It's not going to happen if you don't. So I want to point this out because because sometimes you know the things that get translated as desire our understanding of how desire is spoken about at least in classical the classical dharma I think can be misunderstood. There's a place for for this kind of motivation in our practice, just as artists have that. And I find it's extremely useful for me to have this kind of passion. I get interested when I need to sit down and, and uh, engage in my formal meditation. I want to. I want to do that. I am motivated to do that. And that feeling of passion and motivation feels very different than craving. What's the difference? That's the question to hold. Can you clarify what does passion and motivation feel like compared to your craving? Some of what I'll, I'll follow also will tie into this of maybe getting a difference around uh, of, of these two. It, for me, it has much more about learning and discovering. And in this, in this book, The Practice of Practice, the author mentions this of having kind of a skillful attitude towards your artistry. And he quotes the, the famous flute player, James Gal Galway, who said, uh, you know, this is a great musician and uh, who said, I do not consider myself as having mastered the flute, but I get a real kick out of trying. Do, do you hear the difference here? It's not like I am the master, I am the great musician. <laughs> it's someone who loves to be engaged in practicing the flute and refining the artistry of that. This, I think this quote points to the skill of being passionate about an artistic endeavor without getting entangled in the craving of needing to become someone special or great. 
It's like you're so interested in the discoveries and the learning. Like you're not worried about, I need to be a great person or I need to be a special person. So I think that's one thing to uh, play around with of what it's like to have the mindset of being quote unquote, the artist, especially around this quote of James Galway of really the interests and the discovery. And then there's another mindset that the author talks about, which I, I feel like is a great fit for this path. And he uh, distinguishes between these two kinds of mindsets, what he calls the growth mindset, a growth mindset, and a fixed mindset. And he gets this, this distinction and this phraseology from this researcher, Carol Dweck. And she does this research on mindsets. And what she does her research is around notions around intelligence. And she's looking at people's different mindsets about um, intelligence, you know, because sometimes there can be a mindset that the intelligence, intelligence you have is fixed. You got what you got. And the other one is, no, actually, you can engage in all kinds of things for intelligence to increase. And the, the amazing thing is that people who have a fixed mindset compared to a growth mindset, what it affects mostly is uh, the sense of motivation and the relationship to learning. So I'd like to share with you some of these distinctions he makes, you know, that come out of this research around people who tend to have a fixed mindset and those who tend to have a growth mindset. So you get a sense of what's meant by these phrases. So I just want to quote the author of this book, uh, The Practice of Practice. He says, when people with a fixed mindset experience failure or even a few difficulties, they often abandon the task because, because both evidence, just a minute. They often abandon the task because, because both evidence to them that they're not smart or not good at the task. This is yet another blow to the ego because any kind of failure is taken as a reflection of your fundamental nature. Of course, nobody likes to look stupid, but to a person with a fixed mindset, looking stupid is the same thing as being stupid. It's a small but absolutely vital distinction. And then he gives the opposite. On the other hand, those with a growth mindset believe that intelligence, and this is around the in, in, research around intelligence, we, but we can tra translate it into around meditation. Those with a growth mindset believe that intelligence is something that can be grown. Effort, work, and challenges are what make intelligence grow and flower and bear juicy fruit. People with a growth mindset aren't as attached to demonstrating their intelligence because they know intelligence can be increased. And so intelligence isn't a fundamental and various unvarying aspect of their sense of self. Isn't that interesting? Are you hearing the distinction? Like fixed mindset, this is the way I am. 
And if I had trying to create a kind of a fixed uh, notion of myself of I'm always smart, then anything that goes against it is an assault to me. It says something about myself, where the growth mindset is just like, well, there's things I just don't know, and then I can learn them. <laughs> Do you hear how this also correlates so well with how we can get hindered by a fixed sense of self? I feel like this is a lot of what the Buddha is getting at around the teaching of not self. Like if, if I fix myself in a particular way, there's no, there's no possibility of growth. There's no possibility of awakening or freedom or more ease in my life. I need to have a fluidity around this. And it fits so well with teachings on karma. So, so often teachings on karma are, are seen as a fatalistic, but really the essence of karma is to notice that Right now, I can engage in certain actions and behaviors and skills that empower me to, to allow my life to move in a different direction. And in particular, when I say my life, my heart and how it's relating to life. Karma, it's all about growth mindset. This is why I got so excited about this book. It fits so well. It also, uh, I, I want to say, um, helps around this notion of acceptance, because I think there's ways of understanding this, this uh, notion of acceptance in our spiritual practice that I, I feel like um, can limit us. And I want to be super clear when I mention this, you know, it is so important to accept how we find ourselves to be in any moment. Like that's so much of the practice. I, I, I come to meditate and I find a posture to meditate in. And I notice that there are certain emotions or thoughts or anxieties. And when those arise, it's so important to accept that with the sense of this is the way it is right now. But often the way I hear acceptance utilized in spiritual practice is that it's, it kind of falls into what I'd call the near enemy, which is this fixed mindset, which is this kind of this resignation with the way things are in a way of it being fatalistic. Do you hear the distinction? This is really important. Yeah, this is the way it is right now. And how can I be with this? How can I learn the skill of being with this so I can be more free in my life? compared to this is the way it is, it sucks, and I suck. <laughs> That's a different world. <laughs> it's a little bit different than uh, the, the spiritual practice, at least the, the, the way it, it resonates for me. Again, a growth mindset. Yeah, maybe that's enough for that, let me just see. And maybe one more thing just to come back to the sense of self, because he really emphasizes this around the difference of how we see ourselves. He says, you know, the author says, you know, we're all sensitive to what others think of us. Nobody likes to look dumb. But if you hold a growth mindset, when you fail or are faced with a difficult challenge, it's not such a blow to the ego. People with a growth mindset understand that failure is a form of assessment telling you that you need to work, work on something, refine it or approach the problem from a different angle. 
failure is an opportunity to learn for someone with a growth of mindset, an example of your fundamental lack of intelligence. So I think in the realm of practice, like meditation practice, this can be helpful. So I want to contextualize what he's saying too, rather than universalize it. There could be situations where this notion isn't so helpful. But I think in this particular context, it can be. There's also another thing about, this didn't come from the book, this came from the reflections I was having with my partner just around music and learning the skills of music. You know, it's interesting, my partner, she grew up in a, in a family culture that was oriented to music. Almost everyone in her, her family played music in some way. Her father was a preacher. They were singing, you know, almost every day, all kinds of hymns and things like that. So it was a big part of their life. And uh, there was a family story around my partner where they would say, you know, they said, you know, you sang harmony before you even sang melody. And singing harmony is super difficult for, for many people. It really is a refined skill in music. And even this notion that she was just kind of born singing harmony, she had this really refined ear in this way. But when we talked about it, what we realized is so much of how she learned to harmonize so easily is because of the context that she grew up in. Context shapes us a lot, and we learn so much from the context that we're in. This is the same with spiritual practice. And this is why the Buddha emphasizes again and again and again things like community, sangha, spiritual friends. Spiritual friendship is seen as such a, a, a basis of this path. You know, the Buddha, uh, there's an interesting quote where the Buddha says, you know, he's talking to the monastics and he says, you know, if there's, there's, there's practitioners from other sects that come and ask you, you know, what are the foundations of your path to awakening? You know, we should tell them the first one is spiritual friendship. Like that's the basis. Like the Buddha got it. Like the context you find yourself in is going to be shaping your heart and mind. Or in one of the commentaries, the, Vasud the Vasudhimagga, the uh, Buddha Gosa talks about all these different ways of navigating the hindrances that can arise your, with your meditation and all these antidotes and approaches. And there's one approach that is the uh, common approach, the, the same approach for each hindrance, and that's having admirable friends and spiritual friends, and spiritual companions and admirable friends. Who you hang out with, the communities you find yourself in, shape your heart and mind. I found this so true. This is why I, I, I try to find and to, to be a part of spiritual communities because they help with learning these artistic skills. I need to know this if I'm interested in practicing. And then there's one, uh, I do want to get into maybe two detail points 
that he gets into in the book around music and then uh, translated into it. He emphasizes in one chapter that great musicians, those of you who play, uh, have played or play music know this, is that really great musicians, um, one of their keys to their success, many of them will say, is playing slow enough, like if they're learning to play a piece, is playing so slow that they're playing slow enough to correct any kind of minor error that they're playing in that piece. And it's a real kind of art to learn how to do that. And it takes a great amount of patience. And I want to slow down with this, the sense of like slowing down and then coming back and repeating something until you really get it down and how to translate that. And I want to say the, the translation isn't one for one for good reason. You know, it, it's not like you're, you know, and you're trying to work on wise speech and you're having a difficult conversation with that person. And you're like, oh, wait a minute, can we stop right here? Like, can I just practice that what I said just like three or four times? Because I'm really trying to get down this art. So if you could just be patient, I'm just going to try it a few more times and you can tell me how it is. And then, then we can go on, uh, on with the conversation. But just this one bar of our like conversation, I need to slow down with. Maybe you can try that. If you do, I really want to know about it and see how it uh, goes over. But my guess in those difficult uh, conversations is it might not work. <laughs> and this is kind of just the, the nature of this art of meditation, too, is like experience just rolls on. I can't come back to that experience, that same experience. I can come back to similar experiences, but not the same experience. So there needs to be some translating with this. And when I slowed down and started to reflect on it, I realized some of the qualities in that instruction for musicians, which would be different than a meditator, is for musicians, it's having this real attentiveness and also a real curiosity around the challenges that might be coming up. It's like having this aspiration of, I want to slow down with the challenges. I want to check them out to see what's really going on here. Like I remember on long retreat, I became so fascinated with how the mind got lost in thought. It is such an interesting thing. What's going on there? What's it like to really check that out? And once there was curiosity, it's like the, my meditation came alive in, in all these interesting ways. And it was that key piece there of like, I want to slow down. I want to check this out. Or I've done this sometimes with certain kinds of emotions like fear or anxiety or frustration. Here it is again. Wow. What's it like? Like, let me slow down with this. How do I learn how to meditate with this? So it has the same qualities of attentiveness and a lot of patience and curiosity. And then another thing that uh he was getting into the author of this book the practice of practice was um having particular strategies and then text techniques to fulfill those strategies so i want to give you his definitions of these and then to um, give one example he says a strategy is a learning approach that anyone of any skill can adapt and then the technique is the skill necessary to use the strategy well Okay, so the strategy, one of the strategies in meditation is, the strategy, of course, is to uh, 
have uh, that something that's going to lead to freedom for me. And one of those strategies that's going to lead to freedom is learning how to be with my experience, be with anything that arises. And if I can really learn that skill of learning to be with whatever arises in my experience, that leads to, to, to freedom, to awakening, you could say. And then there's techniques that I use to be with my experience. I learned how to sometimes note my experience, notice the emotions and name them. Oh, there's anxiety, this is fear. Planning, remembering to help sharpen mindfulness. Or it's the technique. Sometimes this is helpful around physical pain. Sometimes when I have a strong physical pain, the way I be with it is not bringing my attention directly to the heart of the physical pain, but just around the physical pain, kind of away from it a little bit a broader kind of scope of the pain. And then the way I'm being with it is not only the physical sensations of that physical pain, but also how the mind is reacting to it. And then sometimes the way I'm with emotion is not just being with emotion. Sometimes I need to do a circuitous route where I need self-compassion. I need to kind of soften around it. So these techniques that I learn in terms of how I use my attention or how I use self-compassion to fulfill that strategy of being with. And again, that's a whole talk there, but I just wanna make that as a, to, to show that, the, that there's a way of seeing this as an artistic endeavor. Yeah, so may these reflections on framing our spiritual practice as artistic endeavor and, and getting the practicalities of practice down, may it lead to the liberation of, of all beings. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.